Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community, and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3 p.m. to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions, or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. It is really good to be with you this afternoon. I'm going to speak with you about a, a very important subject, but it's it's uh, the time in our year when we're on our way to the cross. It's the Easter season. It's when Christians take time to turn inward and reflect, why do I need a Savior? It's also the time when we're going through our neighborhoods, connecting with people, dropping flyers through doors, trying to have conversations with folks we meet, inviting them to come around. So if uh, someone from our team made their way to you in this last week, we're glad you're here. You're in just the right place today. As the trees bloom on the tree on the trees outside, um, listen, it's, uh, it's going to be really sophisticated this afternoon. This is what you're getting. Um, as the flowers do come up, as the grass comes through, as the temperatures rise and as the sun comes out, it's a fitting metaphor that what looked like it was dead was alive in the root the whole time. And I think that's a word for us when it comes to depression. Let me say it up front. Depression is not a sin. There's sins that can result from depression. Other temptations may be intensified because of depression, but depression itself is not a sin. It's not a sin to be depressed in spirit. It's not a sin to be nervous, fearful, or timid. It's possible to walk on the borderland of despair and not sin. Some of us just need to hear that because that could be a reframing of what follows. Things in life can hurt us. Circumstances can be so tough that we wouldn't want to wish it on anyone else. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7.5 says, Our bodies had no rest and we were afflicted at every turn. We were fighting without and we were fighting fear within. Biblically, Matthew chapter 2, verse 18 says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Evil king sends a genocide on the land to wipe out the firstborn of every house. Circumstances can come at us. Every beautiful, wonderful childbirth can actually lead a mother to a place where those unthinkable words could even be spoken as postpartum sets in. And another depression could be experienced there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4 is right, and we'll all experience it. There is a time to weep, and we will all be there. There are several forms of a broken heart. Maybe some of us are carrying it this afternoon. Desertion, neglect, or betrayal by a spouse, a family member, or a friend. Bereavement is another way to have your heart broken, the ailment of death of the one that we love. Penury, job loss, financial strain, poverty of basic needs, disappointment and defeat, Dreams that go unreached, goals that get blocked, tries that fail, and foes that win. Even guilt, regrets, 
pains that we've caused others, pains that we've received from others, and our sins against God. Yeah, many circumstances can traumatize us. We live under a canopy of thorns and thistles. And it's possible for painful circumstances to come our way that become painful and they remain so painful with us that when the grief doesn't leave, that dark creature called despair comes creeping out of its lair and it starts to have a run at each and every one of our lives. Charles Spurgeon pastored a church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was at the other end of the Bakerloo line down there in Elephant and Castle. And he was a man who's probably known as the Prince of Preachers. And yet he carried so many sorrows and so many depressions in his own life. He said, quite involuntarily, unhappiness of mind, depression of spirit, and sorrow of heart will come upon you. You may be without any real reason for grief, and yet may be among the most unhappy of men, because for the time your body has conquered your soul. Depression. Notice as depression comes, and it's as if our choices, they keep getting overruled. Notice as depression comes, it's as if it has a will of its own. We're trying to tame this beast, but it just keeps roaming through our hearts. Sometimes a specific source isn't even identifiable. It's as if multiple sadness come our way and we take that dark turn towards depression. The trials don't stop. It's as if we're in a little boat and these trials, these waves, they come crashing to us and they come crashing like waves on a sea. They're crashing and they're crashing and they're crashing. And the boat begins to leak, but the storm won't let up. So we do our best we can to, to patch this hole, hoping we can last, but the waves keep coming. And the trials of life just keep coming. And what was eventually one hole becomes two. And our energy starts to fade. And the waves won't relent. And the storm continues to brew. More holes appear than we have stamina to patch. And yet the waters break. The holes give. And it's as if the boat of our souls begins to sink. This depression operates along a continuum. On one end of the continuum, we could understand there to be discouragement, and at the other end, we could find depression. There are many contributing factors to depression, spiritual, physiological, even social. And this afternoon, I want to speak with you about the spiritual dimensions of depression as we talk about this, of course, I'm only going to go for about 20 minutes here. I'm not going to give you everything there is to say about it, but we are going to talk about the spiritual dimensions of this. If you're carrying depression, working on these spiritual dimensions will give some relief. It might bring some of you all the way through. Others of us might need more help and more counsel still, and that would be a good thing. This does not mean spiritual dimension is the only factor, just saying it's the primary factor I want to look at with you. And to look at that, let's consider the prophet Jeremiah. Allow me to introduce him to you. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was the prophet full of emotions. And he's actually a perfect case study of what we've been considering over these last couple of weeks together. Our emotions are responsive, and that's a good thing. Jeremiah loved God. Jeremiah loved God's people. So when bad things came in the way of God's people, Jeremiah wept. 
He's known as the weeping prophet. He lived in a time of exile and sin for his people Israel, and he was an eyewitness to multiple violent deportations of friends and family members. His nation was shipped away into exile, and he had to sit and he had to watch. And God called him to be a prophet, to be someone who would go and would speak to his people. The remaining survivors in Jerusalem, was tr- they were trying to comfort themselves by telling each other, well, the worst is over. Like the worst, that's behind us now. It's going to get better. And Jeremiah had a terrible message to bring. The worst is yet to come. Well, no one listened to him. They, they in fact, rejected him. His very people, they turned on him. They called him a traitor. They threw him in a dungeon to where Jeremiah... Jeremiah chapter 38 verse 6 tells us he sank up to his armpits in mud and it's understood to be from that place we get this book, Lamentations. These laments, these heart prayers and these heart cries for someone who loves so much and someone who's experienced so much. This this prophet of God and yet he's allowed to suffer and suffer bitterly. First 18 verses of chapter 3, they, they, they teach us sometimes it feels as if God is the enemy. Sometimes it seems like God's the enemy. This book of laments, chapter 3, gives us the longest lament, yet it's composed as an acrostic. So it's set to the Hebrew alphabet. And in chapter 3, you get three lines of Scripture for every one letter of the alphabet. So it starts with Aleph. Then it goes Beit, Gimel, Dalit. And it just works through the Hebrew alphabet. Three times on every letter just talks about how life is so full of sorrow and so full of suffering. This chapter of Scripture literally takes us in the Hebrew alphabet from the A to Zs of human suffering. I know sometimes it's like the A to Zs, but it just doesn't sound right, so we say A to Zs. But the A to Zs of human suffering. Jeremiah is like the conductor of a runaway train. He's called to pump on that brake. He's called to try to slow it down. 400,000 pounds of iron and engineering and inertia blazing down the track. And he's called to pump his prophetic arm and to try to get it to stop to no avail. He has seen real pain. He's seen real loss. He's seen real pain, real heartbreak, real devastation, real loss of home and property, and real captivity. He had his reasons to be depressed. Jeremiah is a broken man, yet in the cracks of his brokenness, we can see the light pushing through. It's dark, but it's not all the way pitch black. And he pours out his heart to God. And that's what you see in these first 18 verses. He pours out his heart and he describes these metaphors to describe the darkness that he's experiencing. We need to get all the way into his darkness We need to go all the way down into this muddy pit because it's only when we're in the darkness that the light will really make sense. So if we hold back here and hold back from even metaphorically thinking of God in these ways, we'll never be able to see the light that He could see. So let's go down. Let's go all the way down. Jeremiah says it feels as if God is the enemy in verses 1-6, through 
In Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, God is depicted as a king, and he has a rod of justice in his hand. And God is this king with a rod of justice in his hand. He's going to judge the nations. Yet Jeremiah, Jeremiah says he's feeling as if the good king has turned that rod onto him. He's saying, God's not here to protect me. This is as if God's afflicting me. And he sinks deeper. The rod from Psalm chapter 23, verse 4 is shifted. That good shepherd's staff that the sheep would look to. And they'd say, there's my shepherd. He's got a rod and its staff and they comfort me. Because the rod and the staff is the way that the good shepherd is going to chase away the wolves and anything that threatens to attack. But now the sheep sees the rod and sees it as a place of his own torment, even despair. And like an enemy, God's besieged Jeremiah. He's trapped him away in a way that he can't escape. That's where he goes to say, this is also if his God's a warden. Verses 7 through 9, there's no way out. He's sitting under these heavy chains as you look into your Bibles. They're placed on him by his warden. He's in a situation that's heavy, and he would like to escape, but he's chained down, and he's pinned down. No wonder he has these emotions. He goes on, God's like a wild animal in verses 10 through 11. The fear of wild animals is lost on us because we'll go over to the ZSL London Zoo and we'll walk around and we'll just see these things caged up. But in Jeremiah's day, it was different. Jeremiah's day, you walk out the front door of the house and there's a lion, you know? That lion could do you bad. There's a bear. Oh no, you know, like... There's something about these that could devour a person. And he says, it's as if God is a lion against me. It's as if God is a bear who's coming after me. People were defenseless. He's going to overwhelm me. What can I do? How can I stop this? And he goes on, God is a warrior in, chapter two, in, in verse 12. Jeremiah feels as if he's a target of God's wrath. Then in Verses 13 to 14 and 16 to 18, we see Jeremiah says, it feels as if God has become a hunter who is not stalking prey, but God is stalking him. He feels as if God's agenda is to drive arrows through him. He thinks it's God's agenda to drive arrows through his lungs, through his heart, and through his kidneys, and to immobilize him. He summarizes the whole situation in verses 16 to 18. And he concludes his situation is helpless. You ever have it? You ever experience it? The feeling of being helpless. The feeling of drowning. The feeling of the waves coming in and you're doing everything you can to hold the holes together. It's the drift of depression. And we all feel it. Jeremiah had become a public spectacle. I wish we could go more into this, but sometimes the prophets in the Old Testament, they actually had to embody in their lives the judgment of God against his people. And here it is, Jeremiah bearing in his own body the depression of a nation. Charles Spurgeon, we'll keep coming back to him today. He says, the mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. But the soul, the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over and over again in each hour. 
So what are we to think of a God like this? What did Jeremiah do with a God like this? This person of God, God loves, and God allows to be led out to the place where this person's experience of God gets these sentences coming out of the mouth. What do we make of this God? What did Jeremiah make of this God? Does Jeremiah do anything for us to serve as a model and an example for how to live when it feels like God in the world and your own body is against you? He, in fact, does a lot. And it's amazing. It's all attributed to God's amazing grace that's clearly at work in this man's life. And how God supplies grace to this one to give him abilities, to remember God, to consider what's going on in his situation, to believe in God again, and to preach that gospel into his own heart. Let's follow him there. Keep in mind, when we see this, these are in the middle of incredibly depressive verses. What comes next might look good on the side of a coffee mug, right? Might look okay on a t-shirt, a little thing you see on social media. This is coming from someone who's extremely depressed. This person's had their heart broken. And yet, something's at work in this one. Where this one's able to lead us and serve as a model and an example, pointing to one who's yet to come. When you are depressed, when you are depressed, four things we can be about. When you are depressed, remember the goodness of God. You see it in verses 19 to 24. It is exactly what Jeremiah does from the pit up to his armpits in mud. Nothing but sorrow and heartbreak in his soul. And this is what he does. He remembers the goodness of God. He clings to the ultimate heart of the good Father. And he, even though he can't feel it, he chooses to remember it. This is what is ultimately there. He trusts the Father's heart. He trusts that even though... a loving earthly father might take a child aside and have to discipline the child and have to talk sternly with the child in order to help the child grow and in order to lead the child and ultimately save the child. So things have to be done. He trusts the father's heart. And amazingly, he uses this phrase, this I call to mind. This I call to mind. It means that this wasn't there. This wasn't in my head. I had to go get this, and I had to bring it, and I had to put it back at the front of my mind. This is where the good doctor, Martin Lloyd-Jones himself, pastor from the 1950s, says there's a sense in which the Scriptures are teaching us how to talk to ourselves. When we're depressed, there's a way to talk to ourselves. We have to go and we have to get it. We have to go and we have to get the goodness of God, and we have to bring it back to mind. Because our emotions, they don't have brains. They need to be talked to. They need to be led. They can't think. They only control how we feel. So we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves in the midst of our despair, God is good. God is good. Even though this is not a good situation, God is good and He's above my situation. And how can we know? How can we know that God is good? We know because we've, we've seen God respond to His children throughout the Bible and even more than Jeremiah throughout history. He saw the misery of Israel in slavery and He heard their cries 
and he saw God deliver them when he didn't have to. But we've seen him sent Jesus, sent Jesus to die on a cross when he didn't have to. We've seen him send Jesus into a grave. And even though he didn't have to, he rose Jesus from that grave. And it's a picture. It is a picture of the goodness of God. So when we are depressed, this I call to mind. We have to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. And our emotions are instinctive, and that's a good thing. We're going to feel them fluctuate. When the object of our love changes, we keep asking God to give us a new love in our hearts. By the way, this is why you need to belong to a local church. There are going to come times when we can't preach the gospel back into our hearts and when we can't just self-actualize and we just can't realize this enough and we're going to have to get around one another. We're going to have to have some brothers in this room that we call on the phone and we say, look, I'm really discouraged. I just need you to help me right now. We need one another. Sisters, we need one another around the room. Brothers, we need one another around the room. We need this in our lives. The hope that was lost in verse 18 is recovered by memory. And Jeremiah is able to find himself like a child who's crying over a broken toy, but he realizes he's sitting in a massive mansion. He's in his father's house and his father loves him and his father intends good towards him. He's ultimately safe even though something right in front of him is going wrong. There's more to the situation than fit in his prefrontal cortex at the time. He had to remember the goodness of God. And this is what we need. So when you are depressed, remember the goodness of God. Let's remember it. Let's be a people on the lookout for one another. As we see one another coming through and going out and we get on the Zoom screen, as weird as that is for Bible study, and we're looking at each other, it's like, I I feel like you need to hear this. Let's not settle for one another to have low and depressed spirits. Let's get around each other and let's get under each other and let's hold each other up and let's help one another remember the goodness of God. Second, let's recognize any lessons that God's trying to teach us. You see it in verses 26 to 30. And it's strange. It's strange how he talks next. He's depressed, yet he remembers the goodness of God. And yet, he's saying, you know what? This is actually a good thing. (laughs) I'm sorry. You have seen family and friends stripped of possessions, stripped of a country, and deported. Um, You yourself have been turned on by friends, family, and nation. You yourself, you're in a pit, up to your armpits in mud, and this is what you, this is where you go next. This is good? That's what he says. He says it's good for the young to have this yoke put upon them. The reason is that the young have a certain advantage of time. And here's a bit of a news flash around the room for us today. We're all younger today than we're going to be tomorrow. Had to think about that one. So this applies to each and every one of us. It's good for all of us to be brought under the yoke of discipline by God. There we're prepared for what God might be preparing us for next. The yoke doesn't go away. We're all young. So we need to embrace the discipline. We need to even learn from the situations we're in that we're going to be in tomorrow. So when you think about it, we need this wisdom in our lives. That from the pit, 
we could look around and we can consider, is there anything God could have me learn from this? Now, I want you to know, every pit that you find yourself in does not mean you have sinned in some specific way to land you there. And it doesn't even mean you have some sort of deserving of this in your life. As best as we know, Jeremiah is a good prophet. Jeremiah is walking it out in a good way. He's not, he's not sinless, but he's a good man. He's upright. So there's nothing specific that we know that God had Jeremiah to learn from. Yet, he's down in that pit and he says, you know what, this is good. Because I'm able to have some perspective down here. I'm able to think about who God is and how God is towards me. It's good because God often does his best work in us when we suffer. So let's think about this together. Sometimes in our suffering, God's trying to take an idol out of our lives. I'm not saying that's you in every depression. I'm just saying this is what God does in times of suffering. Psalm 119, verse 71, My suffering was good for me because it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Sometimes in the suffering, God has an idol that he wants to take out. Sometimes in our suffering, God has a new truth that he wants to put in place. Sometimes in our suffering, God is simply trying to humble us. Like the story from 2 Samuel verse 16. David on the run being falsely accused. And then someone comes and coming after him. And God's trying to humble him. Sometimes God uses times of waiting to prepare us for ministry. We can think about it. Moses, David, Paul, Jesus in a desert for crying out loud. If God's getting us ready for some new endeavor or some new thing, shouldn't we expect some times of waiting? Even suffering? To prove up our souls and to get us ready? Sometimes we have to go through pain. And sometimes God actually gives us over to pain to give us an ability, an ability to relate to other people in pain. It's interesting, you pray prayers. We've prayed prayers. God, mature us as a faith family. God, make us lean more on you and not on one another as a faith family. And then God leads us through some of the things he leads us through over the last couple of months. I'm not saying there's a necessary correlation. I'm just saying God has a way of working like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says he's been plagued by trouble at every turn. And then only after the fact, down the road, with some age and experience, is he able to conclude that was given to me so I could comfort other people when they experience trouble in their life. Spurgeon, at the other end of Bakerloo, he told his 15,000-member congregation that he was confident that he had spent more days in depression than any of them, and this is his testimony. I would go into the depths of depression a hundred times in order to learn how to cheer a downcast spirit that I might better know how to speak a word in a season to the weary. God's at work in the pit God's at work in the pit. He's working on our hearts. He knows we're there because according to the Bible, the only way we end up there is if it first passes through His hand. A.W. Tozer says, for God to use you greatly, He must first wound you deeper. For Him to use you greatly, He must wound you greatly. And He's our Redeemer. He's the one that's going to take the mess of our lives and He's going to transform it to be a message that we get to tell people but he's going to have to let the mess take its course. He's going to have to let us know what it is to be bruised in order for us to sit with other people who have bruises and be able to provide ministry to them. This is our God. 
Sometimes there's good lessons that God's trying to teach us in the pits. And we would do well just to consider, just to recognize, God, is there anything that I need to see about myself, about you, about this world? Even Jeremiah, this good man, could say, you know what? It's good to be here in my armpits up to my, up to my armpits, but you know. Here we go. When you're depressed, real high class today, I'll tell you what. When you're depressed, remind yourself of God's goodness and blessing. In times of depression, different people, based on our temperament, we tend to forget one or the other, sometimes both. And here's how it works. In difficult and dark times, we forget to see where this whole thing is headed. In our difficulty, some of us focus on the goodness of God and we forget that God intends to bless. Some of us long for the blessing of God and we forget God is good and He might even have a reason for putting me here. Two extreme ways people deal with suffering. Some of us, we deal with suffering and we say, well, Jesus said in this world we would have trials and we would have tribulations. Let's just get ready. It's going to keep coming. And we'll do really well with affirming the goodness of God in the midst of our pain. But we'll actually lose sight. God intends to bless. And God intends to bless His people and to bless people through His people. Yet there's others of us, some in this room, because of our theology, because of our backgrounds, where we're coming from in our different churches and our traditions. We say, no, God has appointed us to walk in blessing. But we forget God's good to us while I'm here. I don't go back to being a Christian when I get out of this pit. I'm a Christian right now. And we think so much about the blessing of God. We miss the goodness of God. And here comes Jeremiah from a pit in verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. What is that? Well, portion is an allotment of land according to Jewish peoples. It was passed down from generation to generation. And Jeremiah, in the bottom of the pit, he has no portion. So he's able to say, you, God, you're my portion. I'm with you, God, and you're with me. And from that position, he's able to start grappling with both the blessing and the goodness of God. He doesn't have any land. The Babylonians have took it all, but he says, the Lord is my portion. And then in verse 32, he affirms the other side. Those who cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of a steadfast love. He wanted to be delivered. He wanted to be delivered from prison. He wanted to see the vindication of his own life and his people. He wanted a reunion with his loved ones. He wanted the blessing that God was about in Genesis chapter 1. As God created the world, he blessed it. He's blessing the world at every turn. And then sin enters the world, not through some other thing, but through people, just like me and just like you. And as sin enters the world, we see God putting the whole thing on a course of redemption. And then he gathers up this man and he looks at this man named Abram and he says, I will bless you, Abram, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Gospels tell us as Jesus was ascending into glory, Jesus is ascending into glory, blessing His people, blessing His people, blessing His people. I don't know which extreme you fall on. If you're more of a goodness of God's sort or a blessing of God's sort, but each and every one of us, we need to preach this full gospel to our lives. Psalm chapter 27 verse 3 says, there's a big quote, we'll skip it, says, I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
It's not just in heaven that we'll experience God's goodness, and it's not just in heaven that we'll experience God's blessing. We'll experience it right now in the here and now. So two applications for us in the room then. Let's not be so focused on blessing that we forget to remember He's good. And let's not be so spiritual and so about it while we focus on the goodness of God that we forget He intends to bless. And He intends to bless a people, not so we can be rich, not so we can be happy on His grace, but so that we can become a river and a channel of His blessing flowing through the streets of our neighborhoods and flowing down the halls on which we live. This is what He's about the goodness and the blessing of God. The arc of history is long. And on that arc, there's some dips. But it's an arc leading all the way to Jesus. Where we'll experience the full blessing and the full goodness of God in the end. So in this life, we're going to have some dark chapters. And as those dark chapters come, recall and remind yourself of the goodness and the blessing of God. He intends to love. He intends to bless. He intends to multiply and he intends to save. And he's writing a story that will end in joy. And if you're depressed today, he is writing a story that will not end in in your tragedy and in your defeat. It will end in triumph. As we hold on to Jesus in faith and we're standing with Jesus in the end. So, finally, And I'll start wrapping this up. Natalie, come on up. When you're depressed, get up tomorrow and look for the goodness of God. He's good. We have to remind ourselves of this. He's there. We have to keep bringing this to home. There's lessons to learn. We have to look around the pit and we have to pray while we're even there. But when you're depressed, the best thing you could do is to get up tomorrow and look for the goodness of God. I love the frame of verses 22 to 24. I'll read them just one more time. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait on Him. I love how God, He leads us to think about our depression by thinking about the difference between night and day. In the night, we know what it's like to be in the shadows. In the night, we know what it's like to be in the shade. In the night, we know what it's like to be afraid of things that go bump. But the promise is that daytime is coming. Not that good luck or good fortune is going to come your way, but that the King of Heaven will cause the sun to rise again tomorrow, and He will cause new mercies to make their way into your soul. God's mercy and God's faithfulness, they're coming in the morning. He's washing away shadows. He's washing away the night every single day. So even though today might feel terribly dark for some of us, even though this feels like a never-ending night, God's mercies will rise. They will rise tomorrow. And when you're not strong enough to rise tomorrow, they'll rise again for you the day after that. So when you feel depressed, get up and look for the goodness of God because he's sending it your way every day. Hang on to this when you're stuck in the rut of sin. Some of us in here, we're not not depressed today. We're not depressed this month. We're We're just trapped and we're stuck in the rut of a sin. God's mercy's coming for you again tomorrow. 
Even though today feels like a waste because of what happened this morning, he's coming for you again tomorrow. The shadows are going to fade. The mercy is going to come flowing through again. It's one of the darkest parts of depression that we feel like not even getting out of bed. I know what this is like to have in my life. I know what this is like to have in my family. I'm not talking to you as an abstract observer today. I know what this feels like. And it's in those moments to when we have to join Jeremiah in the pit and we call to mind the goodness of God. We can do that in different ways. We can call to mind the fact that it is by grace that I have been saved through faith. It's not about my works. And this is a righteousness that was given to me by God for good works that I'm prepared now to go and to walk in. And we walk that out and we live that out in the world in which we live. We have to call to mind, nothing can take away my inheritance. Some of us just have to say to ourselves, we have to go home and look in the mirror, say, you are a rubbish Christian, but he is a great savior. We have to tell ourselves, yeah, there's a lot of sin in me, but he's a greater savior still. Some of us have to call to mind and we have to remind ourselves, yeah, this pit is deep, but Christ is deeper still. We have to work this into our souls because our emotions may be telling us that there's nothing ahead but darkness. There's nothing ahead but despair. But we get to call to mind that empty blood-stained cross where God decided to send His Son to die for the sins of everyone who would believe in Him. And then we get to follow that path over to that empty tomb. And we get to see there's no body here. He's risen. He's raised. He's what we're celebrating this Easter season. And we call it to mind. And we remember again, God's best promise of faithfulness to us for where He's going to be tomorrow, next month, and next year is His past faithfulness towards us. So we have to go back. We have to look around and we have to encounter afresh. All of God's promises have already been yes and amen towards us in Jesus. So how, how will he not also with the Son graciously give us all things? Conclude with this. When you go back to the book of Lamentations and you open up chapter 3, you can actually reread the whole story through the lens of Jesus. And you can see how much God loves us and our depressions won't have the last word over us. When we reread this through the lens of Jesus, we see, wasn't it Jesus who experienced real exile? Wasn't he driven from Jerusalem? Wasn't he separated from God's people? Wasn't he cut off from the presence of the Father whom he loved? Wasn't his body the one that God tore apart? Wasn't he the one torn up like a bear into whom God shot the arrows of his wrath as he nailed him to a cross? Wasn't it Jesus, the one that was literally driven down the streets of Jerusalem with a whip as he carried a cross on his back? Wasn't it Jesus that literally drank the wormwood, recorded in verse 19, over in Matthew 27, verse 34? Wasn't he the one that was actually given this cup of vinegar mixed with gall? Gall is a Greek word for wormwood, and Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath. It was overflowing from the steadfast love that he had in his heart. In other words... It's Jesus who has fully lived out Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, so we can get to enjoy verses 21 to 24 ourselves. He got the pain. We get the goodness. He get the cross. And we get to experience the blessing of God. 
Even when darkness seems to hide his face, I'll rest on his unchanging grace. With all those tides and those stormy gales, I will rest, will rest. This I call to mind, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for this example of Jeremiah. We thank you for the example of Jesus as well. How you show us this true and greater Jeremiah that experienced real outcast. He experienced real deportation. He experienced what it was like to be all the way on the outs so that we could be brought in. Thank you for saving us in your mercy from the storm of your wrath. Thank you for providing safe passage for us through the cross of our faith in Jesus Christ. God, we pray across this room as we sing and as we pray and as we fellowship today, would you cause our spirits to rise, not by any bit of self-will that we're able to muster up, but because we realize it's you that controls the seas. You're the one that brings them in and you're the one that brings them out and you're the one that can cause our souls to rise to you. So God, we look to you and we ask that you would help us in our souls. We ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.